and welcome to episode 225 of the Dive Down, Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. This week, it's just me and Devin. We got hosts <laughs> dropping like flies. Devin, joining me from uh, Western Massachusetts, it's Doomwake. It's me. What's up? Uh, yeah, we uh, apparently got a lot of people on the uh, the injured reserve list this week, so it's me and Dave kind of filling in. So yeah, we got we got some fun stuff to talk about today, though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, on this week, we lost Stan to some kind of random sickness. We lost Shane to some kind of injury. Imagine how, ma- how bad that injury must be to stop you from podcasting, which is, you know, as we know, the most physically, <laughs> physically demanding <laughs> of all the media, of all the media properties. Uh, and we almost lost Devin, too. He must have broken his wrist or something. Yes, at least. Maybe both. You can't click the mouse with no wrists. Am I yeah, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I t- that's what I uh, tell people for my job all the time. But at any rate, on this week's show, we're going to keep focusing on Pioneer because of two things. Well, number one, we got to talk more about the hype deck at the moment. It's the hype deck of the moment across all formats, I think, really, and that is Boros Convoke, right, Devin? I thought you were going to say Modern Green Devotion. Oh, that nobody's hyped about that. Even people <laughs> who who are masters of that aren't hyped about it. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, you're right. This deck is everywhere. Uh, there have been some, you know, there was a week on Twitter last week where there have been uh, some extremely hot takes, some some hot, some lukewarm, some people yep. comparing it to the next Hogak. I think it's, I, I land somewhere around the middle. We'll, we'll talk about that. But yep. yeah, it's uh, it's been everywhere. Yeah, and absolutely, you know, and many people probably know Devin, one of the early proponents of this deck in Pioneer, doing well with the deck here and there. So good to get into it, dive deeper into it. Since the last time we talked about it a couple weeks ago, we only, really only talked about it for about 10 minutes to give an, an intro to, that was the start of the hype. Now we're very mid-hype, and a lot of the hype matters right now because we are running up to uh, DreamHack Dallas for the RC Pioneer and DreamHack Dallas this week, and Devin will be going. Yeah, I'm going to be participating in the last chance qualifiers. For some reason, I, I, I keep telling myself it's a good idea to travel, you know, an uh, extended extended distance, excuse me, to uh, places to tournaments that I'm not qualified for. But, you know, I'm going to have a great time. I'm going to stay with Spike over the weekend and uh, it'll oh, be nice. a good weekend regardless. So, Well, tell Everett that we said, hey, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean we got to get you guys both on a show sometime. That nice. would be pretty fun. Just get everybody together. Maybe maybe we could do it for the like Lord of the – well, maybe Lord of the Rings isn't the best time for us all to talk together, but we, we'll find some time. I think it would yeah. be a good, good show. Get three or four of us together in a room talking about how bad and weird cards are. <laughs> the matchup. Um, exactly. Uh, so before we get into all that, let's do some housekeeping first. So no new Patreons or patrons, or Patreons, or whatever we want to call them these days. So if you would like to support our podcast, please go to patreon.com slash the dive down, where you can check out um, all of the different tiers, benefits that we offer to people who support the show. We just sent out a bunch of swag. If you think you're owed swag and you live in the U.S., please let us know. We're still working on EU, non-U.S. stuff, but please reach out. Um, you know, we got new buttons. We got new... Uh, tokens. We have deck boxes. We have playmats. We have all the stuff that people have been enjoying from the podcast. So hit us up if you would like to do that. Number one, the main thing that most people I think enjoy about supporting our Patreon though is getting access to our Discord. One dollar a week gets you access to the Discord. Dive down. Patreon.com slash the dive down. If you want to support us without going through Patreon, you can check out our store. That is the divedown.com slash store. Just go check it out. Get a hat, get a fanny pack, whatever. Fanny pack, the fit for the summer, I've heard 
Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with the fanny pack. Also, the Rhino Boy shirts, I got to... I gotta get me one of those. Everybody, oh Devin, we gotta copy <laughs> one of those. I, I'm gonna get your address after this and send you one if you want one. I totally forgot about that. We haven't even sent you one yet. If you'd also like to support us via playing Magic, you can check out Manatraders.com to rent cards on Magic Online. Our code there is the DiveDon.com to get 10% off your first two months of rental cards at Manatraders.com. Manatraders, of course, the way that I got the cards for this deck, the way that I believe Devin gets most of his cards from Magic Online. Is that right? You, oh, yeah. You rent, I've, right? I've been yeah. a subscriber, I think, for over three years now. It's an amazing service. Would highly recommend. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember we, we really couldn't do this show without Manatraders, and I think many content creators are kind of in the same space. So yeah. thanks to Manatraders for that. Uh, Barrister Man, Barrister Man is back for one more one more ride with us. We're going to talk about beards at some point later on. That is the Dive Down M23. If you would like to get 15% off your first order from Barrister Man for grooming, facial care, uh, beard products, shaving products, soaps, all kinds of cool stuff like that. And finally, if you want to help out our friends at Nerd Rage Gaming, order a little bit of online cards from somebody, you can use a code it's dive eight to get 8% off your purchase. And we don't even get a kickback from that. It's not, we're just, you know, want to help out fellow Chicagoans basically. Devin, thank you for being patient during housekeeping. I know it seems to get it. longer every time. No, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here. I'm here when I can, whenever I can, you know, say something and throw something in there, I'll be happy to. So yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's just dive right into Boros Convoke. We don't do need it. to wind it up. We don't need to do anything. This is the deck that everyone wants to talk about. Literally it's a, it's a, uh, in my business, sometimes you call this an omni-channel campaign. Every, every single <laughs> thing you turn on, every content creator you turn on, it's like Big Convoke is out there paying for all the influencers right now because it's the only thing anybody wants to talk about, so it seems. And um, deck is interesting, right? You were alluding to kind of what happened on Twitter this week. Why don't we start off with that? Oh, it was, it was, it was a wild ride throughout the entire week. You know, I think it's like first day. I forget exactly the, the first post that I said. It might have been after Sodic had won the challenge. Right. And, he, you know, I, I don't remember him saying anything along the lines of, you know, I don't think he mentioned the H word. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're, you know, other people were talking about it. And, you know, other people tweeted and they said that, you know, this deck is that feels like Hogak. Nothing could beat it. There was one tweet from I forget exactly who it was, but they they tweeted. They thought that they needed like emergency auto include of fury and solitude into pioneer to fix the to fix the problem or <laughs> ban something it. and i'm just like come on and i know and at, the, at the end of the day the deck is good it's very extremely powerful but it is wildly inconsistent and it's just i don't know it's just another aggro deck it feels like to me yeah yeah we're gonna get more into that as we talk about it because i certainly have some thoughts too but i i actually loved the people who were already kind of like selling short on the mm. deck, so CCR from the grind from the Magic Grindcast was kind of like I tried it. Here's a screenshot of my one four. I don't think I'm going to go back. And then uh, you know Jesse Robkin, friend of the show, also had a couple of funny tweets. One where she had said um, she said something like, "Hi, I'm here to inform you that the uh, Hogak deck or the Boros Convoke deck was a one week long social experiment. You now can yep. stop playing it." Basically, and I don't know if that meant that she thought it was good or bad or just wanted people to stop playing. But I will say. The deck is everywhere, right? Mm. It's everywhere. You played a Pioneer Challenge today. How many times did you play against it, do you think? 
Well, I I played the deck. I didn't play the mirror once. You didn't play the mirror once. No, surprisingly, the challenge that Sodek won. He played a mirror in the finals, and I actually look at the I looked at the challenge results from yesterday, and there was one in top eight, Mm -hmm. uh, along with I think another one or two in top 32. So yeah, people are definitely playing it. It's, you know, I, I've, I've seen screenshots of people who played against the convoke deck like five times in the same league. So there are lots of people playing it and uh, it's, it's definitely all over the place. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about what it is enough, enough with talking about the discourse around it. So you said Boros convoke aggro deck. Mm-hmm. That's where we are right now. Boros Convoke is an aggro deck. If you haven't played against it, we'll talk in the mechanics of how it works. But it's essentially a combo synergy-based aggro deck, let's say, right? Yeah, using the word combo actually, I think, more accurately describes what's going on here because, you know, you have a lot of, like, you have a lot of column A and a lot of column B, and you're trying to, you know, assemble a little bit of A and a little bit of B. And um, I get a lot of affinity vibes, you know, yeah. where you remember old school affinity where you had like your payoffs, which were plating in Ravager, and then your enablers, which were like Memnite, Ornithopter, Mox Amber. It has a lot of that same vibe to me. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't think about that until I was starting to read, I think, both Frank Carson in an article on Channel Fireball and Sodak in the write up that he made on Mystical Teachings, uh, mysticalteachings.com. I believe that they both said affinity and it was kind of like a light bulb went off for me. Cause I had played the deck for in a league plus at that point, And it was kind of like, what does this remind me of? Cause I kept thinking that it reminded me of eight whack, mm. but it's really a, I, and I'm a little bit on the line there. Like we'll talk about kind of thoughts about that some more, but I, uh, I do get the affinity vibes because of that enabler plus payoff kind of vibe with the deck. Yeah, and then the the other comparison to Affinity is, you know, you have your Ornithopters and Medmites, which help discount your, I mean, if we want to go really far back, Mirror Enforcers and Frogmites, but right. they're very similar to your One Drops, which enable your Mirror Enforcers and Frogmites, which are the Captains and the, the uh, Luxodons. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I think we've done the setup here. It's an aggro deck. If you're interested in aggro deck, and it's the it's super powerful deck. It's explosive. It puts ten plus power on the board on turn two quite often. But let's talk about how it does it. Absolutely, Devin. You want to take us through the core of the construction of the deck? I would love to. So the kind of the the step one here, which is part, we'll call this part A. This is the artifact. So you have four Ornithopter, four Thraben Inspector, four Voldaren Epicure. Those are um, essentially what we call the core of the deck. But those are essentially you know non negotiable. You can't cut any of those because they are what enables your fastest starts alongside Gleeful Demolition. And then so you have your consider those the enablers, and then you have your payoffs, which are the convoke creatures, the four venerated Luxodon and four Knight Errant of uh Knight Errant of Eos, excuse me. And then alongside the I guess you could also include Reckless Bushwhacker into the payoff, even though Reckless Bushwhacker is not usually going to be a turn two play unless you, you know, maybe have some other stuff going on. But it's you know, it is a payoff in the sense of it pays you off for having a lot of small creatures in the battlefield, which Gleeful Demolition also does as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just to, to point out what's going on here, really just like, let's talk about it at the, the highest level. Okay. When we say artifacts, we got our Ornithopters, that's clear. Thraben Inspector, Voldaren Epicure, these cards, you know, 
they're not super powerful cards on their own, except for the fact that they generate two pieces of cardboard for a single mana, right? And what we're really trying to do here is we're trying to get cards that put artifacts into play via creatures for low mana cost on turn one. And that's why this deck has Thraven Inspector and Voldar and Epicure in the deck. And honestly, those two cards, there's not many things and it's that really have done that better in the history of magic in a lot of ways, other than other zero casting costs things, right? Like this kind of one mana card puts a one, one or a one, two into play and then drops this artifact thing as well is, you know, I think that's something that we've done a good job of identifying over the last few sets, ever since the Raven inspector has been printed, that that's a powerful thing that can happen. And a lot of synergies can come out of that. Yeah, and the really nice thing about the Thraben Inspectors and Voldaren Epicures, not only do they provide you an artifact to turn on Gleeful Demolition, they also are bodies themselves to help you convoke out the Night Errants and the, the Luxodon. So it kind of, they, they essentially, they're almost a two-for-one in that regard, where, right. you know, you're not getting a direct card off of, like, if, in the longer games, sometimes you end up sacrificing the Cleaver, sacrificing the Blood, so Epicure is not a direct card, it's filtering, whereas Thraben Inspector is just literal, uh, I've called it Ancestral Recall before, it might as well be at this point. Um <laughs> I, I had, side note, I had a screenshot of a vintage cube deck the other day that had Thraven Inspector and Ancestral, and the quote, the caption was, I thought you couldn't have two Ancestral recalls in your deck, so, you know. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. I mean, it is it is worth noting, I mean, the idea there that these cards are two-for-ones in this shell is kind of what it is, right? Like, that yeah. that's what it is, is that they're two-for-ones in this shell, and that's what you, when you take a high-synergy card like that, it's all about putting it in the shell that makes the most, that gets the most out of it and turns something that seems like a marginal benefit into an actual card. Like, that's that's what we're working on. And the way that we do that, like Devin said, is we're going to play Gleeful Demolition. And so you probably know what this card is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the high level of what it is for the for the listeners here. This card is a single red it's a sorcery, and it says destroy target artifact. If you controlled the artifact, put three one one goblin tokens into play. I'm not reading the actual text of the card, so don't. Correct no, me, that's exactly that's what from, it is from memory. Yeah, you got it. Perfect. Are they Frexian goblins? They're Frexian goblins, right? Something I, like that. I think so because there were there were the uh, the all will be one set. So I, th I think they are Frexian. Yeah, they're twisted. For they're your not Frexian your daddy's tribal goblins. Decks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So this card, I think people, as we talked about when we looked at this deck a couple weeks ago, the high-level version of this deck, you know, this card is extremely familiar to people who've played Modern or have played since the last time we went to Mirrodin, essentially, because it's Koldoltha Rebirth with a twist, right? It's got the Phyrexians instead. I think Koldoltha is sacrifice an artifact. I don't think it's destroy an artifact, yeah, but... Um, which is a nice thing to keep in mind. If you have to destroy an artifact, you can do it with Gleeful Demolition. Which but. actually does come up quite a bit. I've I've killed my fair share of Reckoner Bankbusters and also Torrential Gearhulk is an artifact. Yes, so. that's pretty amazing. Yeah, killing that for one mana feels really good. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the card that really has you catapult forward. All of a sudden, you can put together... We'll talk about big sequences, but the idea here is you play one of the other one-drops... Or you play an Ornithopter, and then on turn two, or sometimes turn one in combination with Ornithopter, you, you cash that in to make three one ones. Now, high level. So and the, the cool thing about Gleeful Demolition, if you want to go super old school, it almost acts as like a dark ritual of sorts, mm -hmm. where the turn that you want to cast the Convoke creature, you're spending one mana to put three bodies, and that three bodies is essentially three mana's worth of card on the, night, on the Convoke turn. So Yeah, yep. Yes, that's that's the key, really. You got the boons on the mind, Devin. You're talking about Ancestral Recall. <laughs> you're thinking about Dark Ritual. We're going to talk about Giant Growth, Healing Salve, and Lightning Bolt soon as well. Lightning Bolt um, and Pioneer? 
<laughs> in my pioneer? I know. We can, we can only hope. Um, but it, it is a good point because it's not only just about having a bunch of 1-1s attack, and that's what the payoffs here are all about. The payoffs in this deck are those Convoke cards. Knight Aaron of Eos, which draws you cards, and then Venerated Loxodon, which buffs your whole team. And this is really the thing that made this deck possible at this point, right, is the fact that we got a redundant five mana cost Convoke card. Yeah, with only with only four Luxodons, I, th- I feel like people have tried Venerated Luxodon before in mm-hmm. various iterations in Pioneer, and myself included. I've tried a couple of, of times with that card, but it feels like, like you said, it just never really had that second payoff piece. And if you look at, you know, if you if you want to go back to the traditional, the comparison of traditional affinity, that deck was extremely powerful because it had multiple payoffs, Arcbound Ravager, Cranial Plating, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that's where once you have that redundancy, that's where you really get to the more the more powerful starts because you have those draws more consistently. Yeah, we call that the rule of eight. Yep. Actually, you know who calls it that? The rule of eight is Frank yeah. Karsten, who, who oh, we'll be fine. talking about here sometimes as well. Yeah, not, <laughs> not, we did not make that up. No TM. No TM. There. I have my own terrible rules that we've TM'd in the past. The only card that's left here is, of course, Reckless Bush, Bushwhacker, which is a great card, I, I think, in the right shell, of course. Again, this gave me the eight-whack vibes because I actually had some fun with that deck occasionally in Modern. It's just pure aggro. This is the thing that has turns your tokens in one way into a whole bunch of damage really, really fast. The thing that's interesting about Bushwhacker is that it sort of crosses the... It's more of a Loxodon than a Knight Errant, right? Mm -hmm. So it's something that puts more gas in the tank as opposed to something that gives more card advantage. But I do think it's a similar power level to Venerated Loxodon in some ways because the game just ends so fast after a lot of these Bushwhacker turns that I I do think this deserves to be kind of thought of as payoffs nine through 12 in the deck it's not it's not you know lesser necessarily yeah 100 percent. like the biggest comparison of the can like if you mentioned venerated luxodon to reckless bushwhacker the thing about luxodon is you have to take the turn off to cast it so you're not getting in any damage that turn but right. bushwhacker bushwhacker is usually the like the, the card that ends the game on the spot because you're getting that mass burst of damage that turn whereas luxodon is like okay it's more explosive because you can cast it on turn two and actually benefit off of casting it on turn two most of the time but it's not going to like you're, you're giving your opponent that one turn window and it's not going to end the game on the spot similar to bushwhacker so it's like you know that's that that's kind of the big difference there yep yep so that's the core nobody has any controversy about these cards being in this deck and that's that's a lot of a deck well i have seen people i don't, I don't know if we, how, how deep you want to go into this i've seen people cutting reckless bushwhacker from their deck um, really i have yeah. not seen that yet yeah, there, I, there's not too many people that are doing it, so I didn't want to like write it. I didn't want to put it in the notes, um, but there, there was a very a, a couple of people who I saw doing that. I would not recommend that, but <laughs> interesting. What were they playing instead? Can you just give us a high level of that? Was it more utility cards, more token generators, or I cannot remember the name of the card for the life of me, but it's the mutate card. So it's uh, red white for a two two, and then it's mutate yes. for red white colorless. And when you mutate, your creatures get plus two plus one until end of turn. It is called Regal Leosaur. Is there that is. right? That's the yeah. one. Yep. So this is a card that it's interesting you bring this up. So Frank Karsten mentions this in his article on Channel Fireball at the end of it about how to play this deck on uh, Arena because Reckless Bushwhacker does not exist on Arena. Right. Yep. So do you think that people were just going for this card because it's even more power? Is that kind of where it's coming from? So it's a similar effect, but they're just trying to add even more power to their creatures. So what do you think? 
So I think the concept behind the mutate card is you don't need an additional spell to be able to turn on surge. Right. So because there's there are frequently spots where you're top decking and Bushwhacker is obviously not a good top deck. You need another right. card in hand. But the Leostor right. is a much, much better top deck. So when you're like maximizing for the lower percentage of your draws, you could make it make an argument for the, the mutate creature. Um, but when I like when I build decks, especially in a format like Pioneer, where the speed of the format is significantly faster than modern, at least, you know, right now, and just a lot of people, a lot more people are doing more linear stuff. I'd rather build my deck in a way that maximizes the top percentage of my draws. And, you know, we'll get into that in our, you know, maybe our next discussion in a little bit. But yeah, that's that's how I tend to build my decks. Did you just say Pioneer's faster than modern? Oh, yeah. 100%. Wow, that's so interesting. 100%. I haven't ever thought that that could be possibly true. Maybe it is true. Well, and I think part of that is, you know, like if you look at, I don't know how far we're going to want to go into this, but modern pre-MH2. We got all night, Devin. We got all night. It's a holiday. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. That's fair. So <laughs> I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, modern pre-MH2 was a lot of, you know, the people's complaints were a lot of two ships passing in the night, which I agree with. The format right. was not great. And kind of the, the way to break that up was Fury and Solitude, this free interaction. And when you have, when you, when you're introducing more free interaction into the format, the, the more linear decks are being answered on turns one, two, and three. And just in a general sense, that means that you're going to play more turns over the average course of the game. Right. That's interesting. I, I th- sort of thought of it more like we're getting the same number of turns, but more interaction per turn because everything is cheap slash free, right? So it's like yeah. the, the turns, individual turns are more complex in modern, but it still felt like it's kind of like we have the same-ish number of turns, but I could be wrong about that. But um, but I, I hear what you're saying. It's the the power of the interaction for sure. And, and Pioneer really doesn't, I mean, that's one of the consistent concerns about it. We joked about Lightning Bolt. Lightning Bolt will never be in Pioneer, but like this this idea of you have your fingers crossed. <laughs> You'd like One Lightning Bolt in Pioneer? I think I would. I, I would at least try it, you know. Interesting. It is my favorite card. But um, but a lot of people have that complaint about Pioneer right now where they're kind of like, if you want great interaction, you have to play Fatal Push, and then people build decks to make Fatal Push not good, and it's like, where are we going with this this kind of whole thing? But um, interesting. Okay, so, so that's the core, except for a couple of true freaks out there taking reckless bushwhacker out of their decks those are and that's a lot of cards in the deck if you if you look at that that core is you know it's 24 cards between the artifacts and the payoffs and then four more for gleeful demolition so that's 28 cards total in a deck that has 41 cards at least in your build so it really doesn't leave a ton of space it's basically another pack of payoffs almost to fill up the rest of the deck so what is the rest of the deck? Well, let's get started with, I think, probably the most controversial uh, card, which, in my opinion, again, you know, I, I, I can go on record and say this. I think you should play Burning Tree Emissary. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who disagree with that statement. But for those of you who don't know, Burning Tree Emissary uh, is uh, red-green hybrid X2. So two mana, two, two. And then ETB, you make red-green. Now, here's the, your dark ritual, Devin. This right. is a dark or your manamorphose kind of, I guess. Well, but, yeah. I, I think that my biggest comparison with Burning Travis here, if you want to go back to the affinity, is Frogmite. 
right? right. Frogmite was a really unassuming card for a lot of time. People didn't even play it. Like if you go way, 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 way back to like during the mirrored and dark steel days. Um, but a lot of people didn't play it, but then people quickly realized that you just want a, like it just, it adds more redundancy, right? It adds more to your explosive draws. It's not the most, it's, it's not the flashiest card. It's a, it's, you know, it's a zero mana two, two. It's not doing a ton, but what it does do, and again, this was going back to the way that I tend to build my decks is to maximize the top percent of your draws. And I think, especially if you're playing with Reckless Bushwhacker, we've seen this in the past before, a Tarka Red, where they were playing, you know, a bunch of red one drops, Burning Trees with Reckless Bushwhacker, Tarka's Command. And Burning Tree just makes those Reckless Bushwhacker turns so much better. And yeah. the other really important thing is with Convoke Creatures, it lets you have these like lines where you go, say, a Thraben Inspector on turn one, and then on turn two, you go, say, Burning Tree Emissary into something else. Then you can still use, because it's a free spell, you can use the mana left over to still have enough to convoke a card. So I just, I really think it, it helps you in a lot of your, your busted draws. Yeah. Yeah. For what it's worth, you know, as someone, who is, you know, clearly on the casual end of the casual spike spectrum as we as we think about it here. It feels like a no-brainer to me, especially even after playing this deck sometimes. You do get those kind of mopey draws or mopey not draws, but like mopey cards seven, eight, or eight, nine, and ten off the top of your deck where you accidentally draw two burning tree emissaries and you don't get a bushwhacker and you're kind of like <sighs> or like, you know, this mm. is a top deck after you've been swept and you're kind of like, eh, this isn't doing that much for me. But on the other hand, you know, I can't imagine what that I would want to pass on the explosiveness of this card to do something else. Like, I don't, I don't know what I would put in here instead. More token generators. You know, I saw, for example, like Sodak is into, I always forget the name of this card because it's pretty recent, but it is called Resolute uh, Reinforcements. Resolute, yeah, Resolute Reinforcements. I knew which is going. essentially a care, the, um, what's that called? Call. It was like raise the alarm. Uh, raise the alarm. Thank you so much. It's raise the alarm, but it's got a body. It's a creature instead of a instead of just an instant. Is this the main other option you think when people are considering not playing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the the kind of the argument against burning tree emissary is you want so resolute reinforcements. I will agree is a, is a fantastic card. It offers you a lot of different things. It's a creature that can be found off of night errant, which some other token generators can't. It is. It has flash, which is massive in the post board games against sweepers. You can just hold up. You know, if you're if you're like you go nuts on turn two, and then you don't want to commit more to the board on turn three, you yeah. can kind of just like attack for a bunch, get get swept. You don't care. End step, cast this, and then easily rebuild really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but the biggest downside to resolute reinforcements, and the reason that we're playing other token generators over it, is because you can't cast it off of the red green from burning tree emissary. Right. So you don't really want to have a lot of like you you can't when you're playing burning tree you really can't afford to play white two drops because those again can't be cast off a of burning tree emissary right and that even the other card that sodak is using and the other people using you even have as a as a one of in your deck and he is recommending three and his version of this deck is clarion spirit which is another two drops to consider now this is a card that i gotta admit i sideboarded out a lot and we can talk about that a little bit more when we get to to flex area but um it's a two two for a generic and a white it's a spirit and it says whenever you cast your second spell each turn create a one one spirit creature token with flying so essentially it feels like sodak is like pushing more of this deck towards white as opposed to red i think when you when you start to think about the way that it's actually behaving like using those cards being sure that the tokens that are being generated can make 
uh, Knight Errant or a Loxodon on their own without having to be um, you know, having to have a white land in order to make that happen. Because that does happen a lot in the build that, that you kind of recommended and the one that Frank Karsten also is playing at this point in time, too. Yeah, I, I like – I think – I like the first copy of Clarion Spirit. As you'll notice, mm. I have one copy in my most recent list, and yeah. I think it's like really cool as as a one of because um, it's. I think it's very good in the mirror. The fact that it makes a flying body because the mirror. It, I don't know if you've played the mirror match yet, but it gets really weird sometimes. You're both kind of just like staring at each other. Nobody wants to make an attack because they're like, well, what if what if I just get you know infinite attack for on, on the next turn? I will say the the combat math abilities of the people I played than the mirrors with this was surprising because I had a lot of people who were just like trying to alpha me and it's like they didn't count the damage that they were going to do or the number mm. blockers or what I could do on a crackback if I dropped a bushwhacker or if I managed to, you know, get a little bit tricky and had a, you know, had certain cards that I'm pretty likely to have in my hand on turn three or four, you know what I mean? And I guess some people just want to make you have it, you know, when they're <laughs> playing decks like this, they're like, you just got to have it. But it, it happened in two different matches that I, that I won where people, alpha into me and then I was like well okay I have two life left and I'm going to hit you for 17 on the crackback because you're completely tapped out like I I think note and we can talk about this more a little bit later too but like when you're playing a deck like this it does not mean that you have to like attack all in even at the earliest opportunity you have like do the math do the the counting and make sure you're going to win you're going to survive or whatever but anyway. there are there are frequently spots in this deck where you have to do math like two to three turns ahead of the ahead of time. Like yeah. you have to think about how much damage am I getting through this turn? How many blockers are they going to make next turn? What's next turn going to look like? And so on. It's just there's so you have to play so many turns in advance uh, with with some hands. But yeah, going back to the Clarence Spear, I think the the awkward part about it is, again, you know, as you said, can't be cast off Burning Tramissary. Also, even not just can't be cast off Burning Tramissary, but also really awkward with emissary even on turn three where you say play mm-hmm. your third land and then you can use two mana to play the burning tree and then you have a white leftover for the clarion spirit because clarion spirit says second spell not spell cast after clarion spirit you typically will want to play the burning tree first in which case you're not going to get a token that turn off spirit um so and i think it also exposes you to spot removal more like this deck is incredibly good against fatal push every single card is either two creatures or replaces itself in the form of inspector and epicure and this is the only card that like unless you have exactly ornithopter on turn two if you cast it against rakdos they're just gonna kill it and you can't afford the trade cards like that against rakdos yeah yeah totally it makes sense the other thing that really surprised me about this, and I have to say, surprised me specifically about you, given some of the other conversations we've had, is you can't play Gigantha if you have Burning Tree Emissary, <laughs> and I, and you love your elk friend. Oh, I and do. I was I was surprised that you were kind of like, yeah, you know, it's not worth it in this case. I I tend, like I said, I tend to agree, but did you have to think for a minute to decide whether having a companion in this deck was possibly worth it, or is this just not the type of deck where you think you're ever going to use that as a mana outlet? So I hope Gigantha is not listening to this podcast episode right now, but uh, forgive me. The The thing about Gigantha in this deck is you're a 19 land 
aggro deck that mm-hmm. stops at two. Like your curve literally stops at two. Bushwhacker is a fake three because it you know it costs right. two. Um, and your five drops are not five drops either. Right. So. Exactly. So because your deck is incredibly low land count, you stop at two. You also have a ton of things to do with your mana already. You have clue yeah. tokens. You have blood tokens. You have castle embereth. So I I don't find myself short on things to do with mana. And on top of all that, I think that if you're ever in a spot where you're picking up and casting Giganta, you've probably already lost that game. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense to me. Sorry, Giganta. There's plenty there's plenty of homes for you. Our friendly five five. Just not this one. Just not this one. Exactly. Maybe in another Our, life. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll get a different card that just literally casts Dark Ritual, but it's red or something like that. And then yeah. and then we'll be happy to play that instead. It only costs one red or something. All right. So like we said, this leaves so now we said that left 13 cards. Now we're down to nine cards left in the deck that aren't really, because I, I sort of consider Burning Tree Emissary to also be core to the deck. It's like, it's free real estate, honestly. Like, what do, I, yeah. I don't totally understand why. I mean, Sodak's way better magic player than I am. So like, it's have your opinions, but like, I, I, I prefer the speed, I guess is what I'm saying. So what are we doing with the rest of the cards in this deck? Like, what holes are we trying to plug? What are you thinking about when you're picking the rest of those cards? What's on your mind? So as far as the flex bots are concerned, the next most common one is Forbidden Friendship. So Mm -hmm. this is, for those of you who don't know at home, it's Red Nicolas Sorcery. You make a 1-1, I believe it's White Soldier, and then a 1-1 Red Dinosaur with Haste. So two 1-1s, one of them being red, one of them being white. Uh, For the most part is a three of, I think, you know, I would probably say it's about like 60 40 60 play three 40 play four mm-hmm. um but it's nice because for a couple of things you know as we talked about with burning tree emissary you want things that you are able to cast off of red green and your deck has a lot of red one drops and a lot of white one drops so typically you're not going to be able to go burning tree into two one drops you, you just can't do that with the way that your your colors are sorted so it's nice to have a card that you can cast off of burning tree that adds two more bodies to the board in those draws where you're playing convoke creatures that's the really good thing about it some people have played what's the i think it's called the goblin instigator which is red nicolas one one etb mega goblin that card is potentially better because you can find it off of knight errant the problem is the white creature that you make off of forbidden friendship is so important because if you go you can imagine turn one voldir and epicure Turn to Burning Tree, you have two red creatures in play, and then let's say you play Instigator, you now have four red creatures in play. If you have an Ornithopter, you don't have a white creature for your for your Convoke creature. So the white creature is very important in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And But the, the key thing is that the next thing you're thinking about with this slot is, and everybody seems to be thinking about is, what's one more token generating card that I can get in this deck? Whether you choose Goblin Instigator, like you said, which I played against in some of the mirrors, whether you choose Forbidden Friendship for all the reasons that you just talked about, you know, you're not going to play the um, the Reinforcements card that we taught, Resolute Reinforcements along with Burning Tree Emissary, but that's what's on everybody's mind is like, I want to get another card that puts two tokens onto the battlefield. That's that's the next thing I need to do because makes Convoke better, makes Bushwhacker better. It's just a no-brainer, right, to, to just get a little bit more token generation in. Yep, exactly. And then uh, moving on to the next flex spot, we'll kind of group all these together as the – we'll call them the one drops. Mm-hmm. So the first one is Legion's Landing, which is – no, I wish it was a creature, but it's a white for an enchantment, which when it enters the battlefield, you make a 1-1 vampire with lifelink, and then it flips into a land that you can tap for white or pay three, tap it to make a 1-1 vampire with lifelink. Uh, the other one drops here. We have Legion Loyalist, which is 1-1 haste, uh, and then it has the battalion trigger. And then the last one is Giant Killer. 
So there is kind of a split. Most of the lists that I've seen have been at least the recent ones. And what I'm what I'm currently playing is a split of two giant killer, two legions landing and no legion loyalist. The earlier list did have legion loyalist because you would think, you know, you're making a bunch of tokens. You're always going to be able to trigger battalion. The ability on Legion Loyalist comes up sometimes like it's important in the mirror because you're to give mm-hmm. your stuff first strike. It makes their blocking impossible if they ever want to have, you know, some sort of blocks. It's very important against Grease Fang. So their angel tokens can't block. So you can like just tank a hit from Grease Fang and then have Loyalist to make it so they can't block with their stuff. Right. Um, Which, the, by the way, I found very I've lost it to Grease Fang twice across two leagues because the angels just sit there. And you can't get through them. So I totally yeah. understand the attraction of that. Yeah, and you know, there's like that turn you go for a push, but you're you know, if you're going for a push with a convoke creature, they can just like trade off the angels for the convoke creature, and then if they ever you know to prevent the most damage, then if they have a way to get to parhelion again, then you die. Um, right. But the problem with loyalist is I think it's not great in your bad matchups. So or it's sorry, it's not helping the matchups that you are already good against. Right. Like right. It's, it, you're you should be favored against Rakdos, but Loyalist is not good against Rakdos. So it's making that matchup worse. So I think I tend to lean towards Killer and uh, Legion's Landing because those are both incredible against Rakdos. Yeah. And the reason that they're incredible against Rakdos, one is once a removal spell. Right. Or it taps something down, which is actually the first time I've used an activated ability to tap down something. I don't know, since I played limited <laughs> since limited, like, you know, five <laughs> or six years ago to, yeah. to actually have a tapper that was helpful. Uh, came in occasionally. And also cut down is not, is that what it's called? Is it called cut down? The flip chop side of down. giant chop down. Chop. That's what it's called. Chop down. That's right. Cut down's a different card. That's in uh, that's in standard right now. Yeah. Um, giant kill that it's not an efficient removal spell, but like adventures do, you know, this, all of this stuff stacked together along with a 1-1 one, one, turns out to be a card that's valuable. And since you can search it up off of Knight Errant occasionally, that comes in handy and, and all those kind of things. Legion's Landing is a little more interesting to me. It's about the grind, right? It's occasionally just yep. making tokens if you get in a situation where you can't. I mean, it's slow, right? You have to be playing in a specific, pretty specific matchup to have that be that helpful, right? Rakdos. Although I suppose against Control, Rakdos, like you said, maybe Control too, yeah. Yeah, when I, you know, I played an RCQ last weekend with this deck, which I don't know if I mentioned to you, but I lost in the finals. And I did not know you, you lost in the finals. I did. Yeah, I beat <sighs> I beat Rakdos four times throughout the day <sighs> between top eight and Swiss. But then I got like I got by green in the finals. Um, but every single time I flipped Legion's Land against Rakdos, it was just like it, it was insane because the thing is, is post board, they have to kind of play. They can't. So Rakdos is a really good deck because it has the ability to like just kind of race other people with, you know, the, the Blood Scythe Harvester, Trespasser, Shieldred draws. But the Rakdos player playing against the Boros deck doesn't really have the luxury of just kind of playing a curve of creatures because you're under the gun, right? So you have to play in a different manner, which allows Legion's Landing to, like, if you ever flip that thing against Rakdos, it buys you so much time because every single chump block against, you know, a Graveyard Trespasser or a Misery Shadow just gains you an additional life and you're taking no damage, which buys you the time to amass this resource of, you know, just a bunch of stuff in hand and a Bushwhacker for one big final push. And that's exactly what how the how the game's played out. And uh, landing is amazing against them. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so w- side note. So when we first talked about this deck uh, a couple weeks ago, like I said, you you were kind of a little bit feeling like 
we needed to solve the Rakdos matchup in order to prove that this deck had a place at the table. Kind of, do you remember saying something like that? Do you I do. feel like, what do you, do you feel like, was it adding more Legion's landings and giant killers to your previous build? Or did you just play more and realize that the deck was better against Rakdos than you initially thought? I played more because okay. I, it must've just been a small sample size because I have been really beating Rakdos with this deck yeah. over over yeah. the past like week or so. Like I yeah. said, I beat it four times in the RCQ. I think I beat it three times in the challenge today. Um, yeah, I've just, I, I've been crushing Rakdos with this deck. So that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, if, if the field at Valencia, which we'll talk about a little bit later is any indication, yeah. you know, Rakdos is not going anywhere. <laughs> so having a deck that's good against Rakdos is potentially a good thing. I will so. say, I think, you know, part of that is because people still haven't adapted their sideboards. You know, mm -hmm. one, one thing that I if, if you're looking to if you, if you want good sideboard cards against this deck, you cannot get away with just playing four mana sweepers. You have to play three mana sweepers. Hit it to consume salt brotherhoods and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. If you think that for your on the Rakdos side of things, do you think that, oh, I'm just going to fix this Boros match by adding like the fourth extinction event to my sideboard? It's not going to cut it. Yeah. What do you think about people playing like illness in the ranks? Cause it says tokens on it. I don't want to play against that card, but I think it's yeah. too narrow. It feels too narrow to me too. It feels like it does. It's not useful against anybody else ever. So it yeah. seems pretty hard to, to fit. Um, all right. So those are the, the one drops that we've talked about. We talked about all that. We talked about, I think we've talked about of most of the flex options now yeah. with a couple of exceptions of kind of like the high end of the spice scale. Right. So, so these are the, the things sizzle. that you've been trying out. Maybe I've been trying out and because I had a list of yours from earlier this week. Um, the cards here on your list, let's talk about the first one Throne of the God Pharaohs. So, this, this card is a two mana artifact, right? That says at the beginning of your end step, deal damage to target player equal to the number of creatures you have tapped. Is it might right? be lose life, but it's lose one life. of those two. Okay. The only two yeah. copies I have, I have a German one and a Russian one, so I, I don't even, I don't know how to read them, so. Ah. Yeah, I, I know that feeling. You know, Shane has an entire mono green Tron deck in Russian oh, that boy. he, he is his, one of his pride and joys because he used to be a Tron, Tron person in modern, but um, yeah, Russian. They're, they look cool. <laughs> they do. Uh, but so this card, I see it's not in your current version of the list. It's not being picked up by a ton of other people. What did you think about this? What, what do you think the role of a card that's this spice level being in the deck is? It's really hard for me to say because I, I don't think I've cast it a single time. Like mm -hmm. I, the, the times where I've put it in my deck, it's only been one copy and it just has it's just never come up. I've right. never drawn it. But the theory behind it is. So first and foremost, again, going back to the Burning Tree Emissary line of things, you want stuff that you can cast off of red-green mana, and this being a two-mana artifact fits in perfectly with that. Yeah. So that's that's the nice thing about it. It gives you more stuff to do with your Burning Tree turns. And being able to push through damage when when the board stalls, like if you can use your Convoke creatures to tap, like, tap five things, play a uh, Luxodon or something, even if the counters on the creatures are not going to be able to make you attack next turn, you're still getting in five damage that turn. Also right. with Ornithopter, you can like, you know, attack impeatedly with Ornithopter, get some damage there. Giant Killer as well. You can go tap your own thing and then get two triggers or two right. creatures tap for the throne. So you get some cute stuff that way, mostly for board stalls, but it's just, uh, it's never come up for me. So I've decided to remove it, but I, I feel like it would mostly come up like in the mirror, I think. Mm -hmm. Question mark. Interesting. What about, so before we talk about the other one that's on your list here, I'm looking at Frank Karsten's 
list from Channel Fireball. Mm-hmm. And he has Embercleave. Oh, yeah. I can here. put that one down. That's a good one to talk about. Embercleave is a sweet card that we haven't seen in Pioneer in a little bit. What, what are you thinking about throwing one of these into the deck? Well, it's funny because I read I read Frank's article before our show, mm-hmm. and I think he mostly, you know, he, he made a little comment in there about how he just incessantly loves Embercleave. So he just, you know, wants to put it in every deck. Yep. And um, it's weird for me because a lot of your creatures are really small. You're making a lot of 1-1 one, one tokens. Yeah. So the weird part about Embercleave is like, it's good in situations where you're attacking with four or more creatures. So you've probably already like, you know, the gleeful plus convoke turn. Like you could, okay. Imagine a scenario where like, you know, you do the turn two gleeful demolition plus convoke creature turn three. You have four creatures plus a four, four set up the Embercleave. But my issue is it seems win more to me because yeah. in those situations, if you're attacking with all of your creatures, they're either killing your four, four or they don't have a removal spell and they're just losing to the board anyways. So it's just, I don't know. I, I've tried it, but I haven't really had too much experience with it, but it feels like a lot. It feels win more to me. Yeah, I think after thinking about it a little bit, it does feel a little bit win more just because of the fact that you only have eight good targets for it. And those targets are the targets that they want to kill with spot removal anyway. So it's a real, it's a really difficult kind of like needle of threat, I think. So, so one thing that this card does is it gives a little bit of evasion. If mm-hmm. you're in a state where there's a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things to get through. You don't ha- your cards don't have any evasion generally in this deck, so it gives trample. That that kind of counts. The card that you have on your list. Speaking of trample, also <laughs> it, part of that idea is evasion too, right? So devil's well, yeah. valet. Yeah, <laughs> this is evasion to the next level, as it were. Right. So this is devilish valet. Now, for the listeners at home, you probably don't know this card, so I'm going to read it to you. It's two and a red for a one three with trample and haste, which is two important keywords, and especially mm-hmm. in this deck. And whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you double its power until end of turn. Right. So there's some cool lines here. Now, on the at, at its at the base, just just devilish valet plus gleeful demolition. That's it. You've already you're you now have an eight power trampler because it goes it double it triggers three separate times. So you go one right. to two, two to four, four to eight. So just gleeful demolition alone makes this an eight power trampler with haste. Uh, you can also you can imagine getting to these like go even deeper. Then you follow that up with an ornithopter. You now have a 16 power trampler. So right. you can kind of see it's not that hard to make this just lethal in one shot. And that was kind of the theory behind it. Uh, in practice, being a three drop is the most awkward part about this. As we said, you know, over the low land count, dex curve mostly stops at two. I think it might be like fine as a one of when, you know, like against something like Monogreen where you they put like a, a you know, a Cavalier of Thorns or just a bunch of blockers and you can one shot with them with this. But um, in the other theory was it being a one three means that it dodges Bone Crusher Giant and its creature type means that it dodges Power Word Kill against mm-hmm. Rectos. So oh, that's interesting. Idea. Yeah. Yeah, another line I was thinking about with this was just even just with a Reckless Bushwhacker. Yep, If you too. were to go like Ornithopter into Reckless Bushwhacker, that's a – it doubles up a few times, plus it gets the buff, so it gets even bigger kind of more quickly as well, which is interesting too. Yeah, and with Bushwhacker, you can stack the triggers. So right. you can actually pump, give it the Bushwhacker pump and then double it. Right, yeah. yeah. Triggers, got to love them. <laughs> got to understand your trigger stack, people, if you want to play Magic. 
All right, so we've talked about the construction of the deck. We'll get to the sideboard later on. It does feel like this feels like one of those decks where like consensus with a few outliers is pretty close to like we said. It's like a 80% of the deck, 90% of the deck most people agree on, but we're having a lot of fun with the other things that are there. Yeah. Let's talk about playing this deck though because okay. i think that that's the the thing about decks like this this kind of synergy you know one of the things that affinity had a reputation for in modern and honestly you know affinity's child or grandchild hardened scales was similar is just like you got to think about math a lot with mm. this deck yep and you you really are looking for what might, some people might consider a sort of narrow band of of plans that you're trying to do to maximize getting to in order to be successful with this deck. So I think it, I think it all starts with what I think we could call the dream scenario, right? So the yep. dream scenario with this deck is you want to attack for lethal or a lot of damage almost as early as turn three in some of these. So I'm going to go through what it takes to do that. And you, you tell me if I have this wrong. Sure. So here's what I think the best plan is turn one, Thraben inspector or Voldaron Epicure, get your one, one, get a token. Turn two, Gleeful Demolition, and Convoke Loxodon out with four creatures. So uh, Knight Errant is good, but I think Loxodon is better because it makes you have four, uh, four two-twos and a four-four going into turn three. And then turn three, you'd go Ornithopter Bushwhacker, or you try to find some other spell that doesn't matter as much in Bushwhacker. But that means that if you're attacking on turn three in that scenario, it's probably 19-ish damage. On turn that's three, a lot. right there, right Not twenty, but it's a lot. It's 20, so if you get the ornithopter, I think it's twenty <laughs> or twenty-one power. Yeah, but no, that's you're, the dream, right? Yes, you're exactly right. You know, in, in terms of mulliganing, any you you really the the best opening hands include some way to an artifact, whether that's Inspector, Epicure, Ornithopter, plus Gleeful. That's yeah. where you want to start. Those give you your most explosive starts. Wait, so say like that one more time. It's just it's what yeah. artifact plus Gleeful. Yeah, that's that's the best. Okay. And then, you know, if you compare that, like you said, with a Convoke creature, you know, it's it's weird because Frank mentioned in his article that he doesn't keep a hand without a payoff, which is, you know, the Convoke creatures or Bushwhacker. But uh, maybe this is just matchup specific, but I found myself against Rakdos where I would just keep a hand that had, you know, like a couple of one drops and a Gleeful Demolition because... The, it's the payoffs are not as good in against them because they just you know they they're just gonna thought to use your payoff anyways. Right. So I found that just having more raw cards, like just card quantity, is better than card quality against them because they're so good at trading one for one. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. This is exactly what I wanted to ask you about because you know I did some probability math. I had a long discussion with ChatGPT trying to see if ChatGPT <laughs> could do could do multivariate like probabilities for me guess what it can't so don't try i actually had like an argument with chat gpt when it gave me the wrong math and i was like you're not doing this right (laughs) first off devin can we talk about chat gpt for a second so first off i went and i said hey do you understand magic the gathering and it said yes i do understand the rules of magic the gathering i said okay i want to know probability of getting us this these six cards out of nine cards from this 60 card deck it followed that. Like I it said, okay, give me the deck list. I gave it the deck list. It goes, okay, I'm thinking about these 60 cards. Mm-hmm. I was super impressed with that. Then I said, well, this is what I want to know. I want one of these, one of these two cards, one of this, blah, 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 blah. Tell yep. me what the probability is of that. Then it explained how to do the problem, but didn't do the problem. It, <laughs> it just told me formula. how to do the problem. Yeah, it gave me the formula. <laughs> and I said, no, I want the math. 
And it did this like five times. I had to tell it oh over and over God. again. No, I want the real math. Then it finally did it. And I was looking at it and it was like, it was like, okay, it's one out of every 770,000 draws is, is going to be the scenario that you and I described. You're and I was like, a lot of games. I was like, that ain't right, man. Thank and you. I was like, so I went and found another website and then I, I did it there. And it turns out the probability of getting that kind of like best draw that we were talking about is, is uh, with nine cards. So I, I gave us a couple of draws off the top to be able sure. to, you know, what's yeah. going into turn three yeah. is 6.9%. Like that's, so it's one in, it's not bad. It's one in 14 games. Basically, you're going to have something that's close to, to that. Maybe I did my math wrong because that doesn't sound that bad to me either, but it's still only one in like 13, 14 games, right? But, yeah, and then, that's fair. I mean, as like the end of this, I was like, ChatGPT, go look at this multivariate calculator on this website because it gave me the right thing. And then it said, <laughs> oh, yeah, just use that website to calculate it then. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> thanks. thanks. I could have just done that the whole time. <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, by the way, the uh, multivariate calculator I use is on a website called Deculator. It's deculator.appspot.com. I think that is correct. Felt felt better to me anyway. But um, so you were leaning towards the... After that whole, like, I wanted to talk badly about ChatGPT thing, you, you were leaning to the big question I had after playing this deck was, what kind of hands do I keep? Like, is it like Tron? Remember, this, what you just described to me, the scenario that you described about, this is what I want to do against Rakdos. It feels like that's probably what you want to do or what is the most plausible thing against many decks is to kind of apply the thinking that people used to have from Tron, speaking of Tron from a couple minutes ago, which is like, you maul until you can make Tron. Like, mm-hmm. that's what you want to do. It's not as hard and fast in this deck, but the idea that hands that have a lot of stuff going on are better than hands that have uh, two payoffs or too many payoffs and a little bit of steam, it's it's probably better to be in that zone of like, well, I can get tokens or I can go Thraben Inspector into Burning Tree Emissary into Forbidden Friendship. And even though I don't know where this is going, I have a good chance to draw one of my payoffs. And so I I think that's a great thing to talk about for a minute. So you you mentioned that just as the best scenario against Rakdos because of their inability to trade one for one and all those kind of, not inability, but the fact that one for one trading isn't that good. Do you think that that applies to more decks than that? Or do you think that it's basically like sometimes you want the big cards over the enablers? I would say that probably applies to any of the decks that are trying to play fair. So Rakdos, Blue White, they're really another fair decks? Not really. (laughs) That's really all we got, right? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, Mono White Humans is kind of a fair deck. Right, like I mean, it's just creatures. It's fast, well, but it's just the, creatures. The thing about that matchup is you kind of need like sizing is really important. So you really right. need to find a payoff, and you have to go fast against them because they can outsize you so quickly. So yeah, it, that, maybe that's a little bit different. But yeah, the, pretty much anybody that's trying to trade one for one, like well, I guess Blue Eyed isn't necessarily trying to do that, except for with counter spells. But uh, mulliganing against Blue Eyed, you feel the same as mulliganing, mulliganing against Rakdos because you, you're just down cards against them, and you don't want to do that. Yeah. Can I tell you a little bit of math, though? Another okay. math. This is an easier math problem. Right. So I I wanted to think about how likely am I to draw a payoff if I don't have one? So if I have, if I have a starting seven without a payoff, your chances of drawing one of them, one of the 12 cards that we've de- des- defined as payoffs, Knight Errant, Venerate Loxodon, or Reckless Bushwhacker, is 55% if you give yourself three draws. So it's, not it's, bad. A, coin, it's a coin flip, right? Which is... Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of people 
in poker or in other I mean, this is a deck where you want to get all in where it's slightly your advantage, I think. And magic is that to some extent too. But this is the type of deck where I feel like if you're if you're playing that kind of game where you're like, as soon as I have an advantage, I'm gonna shove all in and try to end the game. Like that feels like what this deck is. And it feels like that that kind of thinking you probably should just be making as many things as you can and hoping you draw into a payoff later is, is my take. Right. And think about it this way. You know, I'd rather have a hand that has no payoffs than a hand that has three payoffs. Like I don't, you can't really keep the a worst. hand that's like two land, two creatures and three convoke cards yeah. versus a hand that's just like two lands and five creatures slash token makers. Like I'd much rather have that hand because that hand sets you up better for those payoffs off the top of your deck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the big problem and the reason I think you have to think this way too is like we, it felt to me after playing this deck, and I'd love to see what you think about this, and you kind of hinted at this at the beginning of the discussion, this deck does not really have a backup plan, right? Like, it's not no, super you're right. easy to recover. You can. Knight Aaron of Eos can help you recover. Legion's Landing can help you recover. You've crafted pieces into your list, and other people have it in their list, to help with decks that have sweepers basically but if you play against a sweeper matchup wrong you go a little too far in you play one extra card that you should have kept in your hand that's going to kill you right oh yeah you you have to play like uh, well i mean you you have to play perfectly against like especially blue white control that has the lockdowns farewells verdicts like i did beat a blue white control player who cast turn three lockdown turn four verdict against me today in the challenge whoa um but yeah (laughs) it's just like well, it's possible maybe they fired up the sweeper too early or anything like yeah. that. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, you just you have to you have to know how to sequence against them, and and that's one thing that you'll the, the really only you can learn by just a ton of reps against the against decks like that. Yeah, and it's funny because I on the one hand I say that that leads me down this path of like you said keep the enablers you want hands that have strong enabler starts and don't care as much about the payoffs but simultaneously especially against blue white or post board against rakdos where you know they have extra sweepers whatever sweepers they're going to use against you like mass killing effects it also doesn't mean that you're supposed to be reckless with your cards and just try to close the game as fast as possible it just means your goal is to have as much material on the board at a time as you can and hope that that gets you through without overextending your hand and then finding yourself top decking later on, which is just, of course, brutal. Yeah, this deck doesn't top deck. Well, especially post sweeper, this deck does not top deck very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other things that you think about, like as far as when you're playing this deck, big picture concepts that you think people should keep in mind when they're trying to um, trying to do this? Uh, I mean, this, you know, besides the, the math is just like, I think the most important part, like against the aggressive decks, like figuring out how much, like in terms of sequencing, like, you know, do I, uh, like, do I play a bushwhacker this turn or is it better for me to like, just play a couple one drops this turn and then bushwhacker next turn? Mm-hmm. What if I draw a second bushwhacker? The other difficult part is like on turn three, if you like, let's say, Let's say you keep a hand that's just like a couple of creatures and some stuff and you don't have a payoff yet, but then you amass like kind of, you know, a five or six creature board and then you draw a like a Night Errant or something or even a, a Luxodon. It's like you have to figure out, you know, do I want to use five creatures to convoke this and get in no damage this turn? Do I want to use three creatures to convoke this, get in some amount of damage this turn? Mm-hmm. Um, in a general sense, if you're taking those lines, you almost always still want to tap three because three is the magic number that lets you hit Bushwhacker. 
and right. you know the follow-up turn bushwhacker's important so think think about things like that and just like especially sequencing against the sweepers the other important thing is if Rakdos is still playing um extinction event which is something that this is something that i messed up when i was playing against Rakdos, is you want to use luxodon to spread your power around to like say half of your creatures or half of your odd creatures or like if you're if you're casting luxodon i should say use three odd creatures and two even creatures or you know something right. like that to spread the power around against stuff like the extinction event too yeah yeah, you don't have too many even creatures. You have Burning Tree Emissary, you have Clarion Spirit, you know, in certain builds you may have other things, but like that's another place where keeping some kind of two drop in here that's a creature is important, right? Well, I guess that zero is even, right? Yeah, so your tokens, tokens are even. Yeah, so that makes sense. So you so correction, you have a lot of evens and not <laughs> that lot. many odds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh sorry, don't don't send me emails, please. <laughs> All right. So I mean, I think that's that's Great. I mean, this is good, like high level conversation about the deck. We're we're kind of coming up on an hour in the episode. Let's talk about where this deck fits in Pioneer. And okay. I think this is like a broad question about kind of like what this does in Pioneer, but also we can start to talk about matchups here, right? So people have been hyperbolic about the deck. They love it, hate it, ban it, forget about it, it's overrated. But <laughs> what do you think that having this deck present in pioneer right now is doing for the format doing to the format. What do, you, what do you think people are starting to think about, about this deck? Like why do people care about this deck so much right now? I mean, like as much as I want to, you know, say that this deck is it's, it's really awesome and it's super fun to, well, I mean, it's fun to play cause I like winning, but it does at the end of the day, kind of exacerbate the biggest issue in pioneer, which mm. is just a, a lot of high roll stuff going on. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this is extremely, you know, people have compared it to like, just, just running the, the slot machines or whatever. And it feels like that where, you know, you're, you're trying to um, just trying to nut drop people as, as quickly as possible. But the one nice thing about it is it pressures the format in a way that people weren't necessarily doing before. Like mm-hmm. the sweepers that Rakdos was playing, for example, the Extinction Events and, and Ritual of Soots, neither of those are like just lights out against this deck. Extinction Event, as we talked about, splits uh, the creatures and Ritual of Soot doesn't hit the Convoke creatures. So, you know, if you want to respect this deck and, and you want to be able to beat it, you have to really, really mean it like the three mana sweepers. As far as matchups are concerned, you know, like we saw, like we talked about earlier, I do think this deck has a good Rakdos matchup, which is okay. probably the biggest reason why people would want to play it. Um, and the reason for that is because their cards are also good at trading one for one, but you present a lot of just stuff, like a lot of material. You know, right. you will frequently win games against Rakdos where you just go Inspector into Glaful Demolition, and those four tokens just are good enough by themselves because right. all their removal is Fatal Push and Power Word Kill. Yeah, and it's like, go ahead, spend two mana to get rid of my three of an inspector. Yeah. That's fine. Like, spend two mana to get rid of my reckless bushwhacker after it's already put, you know, a plus one, plus I want everybody for the rest of the turn, like all, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And then it, it's also weird because, de- so I thought the monogreen matchup was going to be pretty good because I've played a lot of decks similar to this in the past. Atarka Red had an incredibly mm-hmm. good mono green matchup. These hyper linear aggressive decks usually have a good green matchup. And I have found myself kind of struggling against green. And I'm really not quite sure if it's like just the way that I'm approaching Mulligan decisions because 
it seems like what's happening is if I don't have, you know, the dream scenario of the Gleeful Demolition Convoke creature, um, they can present, like, obviously, you can't kill an elf. Like, you don't have removal spells for elves, at least game one. We could talk about the sideboard after, but... Um, I want to talk about the, the torch guy, too, that people were yeah. trying out. What was yeah, up with we that get- guy? Yeah. So that that's mostly a sideboard option for okay. the green matchup because right. when you, you want to be able to like you want to be able to kill their elves and that's how you steal the tempo back. Um but when they cast, you know, an old growth troll or Pelucranos on turn two, you can't attack with, you know, whatever you played in the first couple of turns, and they just have this you know ability to just like keep putting stuff onto the battlefield. And if you don't go absurdly wide, it's really hard to beat them uh you know until you get to the sideboard with the magmatic chasms and stuff like that. Right. I heard you talking yesterday on stream about thinking about upping the magmatic chasms to three. Did you do that? Oh, you did do that in your latest I did. your latest list, actually. I'm flipping back over to it right now. Yeah. And I that's really <laughs> you really thinking about it. Yeah. You have, and that's just, like you just have to draw that card against green. Right. That's just all about green, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. Interesting. I think you could maybe talk me into bringing it in like in the mirror slash mono way because it's like a similar situation where you're both just kind of staring at each other and neither player wants to attack. So it's like just a way to break board stalls. Right. What about some of the some of the other kind of not non-interactive comp, but this sort of like, you know, I'm thinking about the broad group of decks that includes like Lotus and Blue Red creativity, like these kind of spellsy combo-y decks. Like it seems like it's probably okay against Lotus Field, do you think? Or Yeah, Lotus is by far your best matchup. Okay. Lotus typically does struggle against these decks because there is a cap on how fast Lotus can kill. But they're also not interacting, and if you're if they're if they're not interacting with you, your fastest goldfish kills roughly like an entire turn faster than theirs does. Yeah, that makes sense. And I even felt like this is pretty good against creativity when I bring that up. I'm mean, creativity is packing removal and has some other things going on as well. You know, it also has counter spells like things like you know make disappear and blue white also has that, which I think is actually a card that can be kind of rough if you play into that. But it still felt like I was fast enough that creativity couldn't really keep up as much as maybe they want to but what do you think about that i think that matchup is close i played against it a couple of times i've actually played against both versions the atraxa and the torrential gear hulk version mm-hmm. and i think that both of them are pretty close so the issue with specifically the torrential gear hulk version magma opus cleans up a lot of your stuff yeah. so if they can if they can stave off the first wave and they get to Gear Hulk Opus your entire board, it's really hard to come back from that. Yeah. Unless that you have sense. like enough follow up after the fact. Or, um, you know, Gleeful Demolition again, as we talked about, kills Torrential Gear Hulk, but the Opus leaves behind a 4 4, and you can't really right. interact with that. Yep. Now, against the Atraxa version, when I was playing Legion's Legion Loyalist, that card was instrumental against Atraxa because First Strike means that your creatures deal damage before they gain the life off of Atraxa. Without Legion Loyalist, it's been a little tougher. You do have Giant Killer. You do have some tools post-board against the Traxa because they have to tap out for it, right? They have to main phase, tap out for the Atraxa. If you have a Giant Killer, then you win on the spot. But um, but yeah, those matchups have been pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Let's just talk about the rest of your sideboard now while we're, we're here. Sure. Okay. So a couple of decks that I struggled against for what it's worth are and that might have been me, small sample size, et cetera. I did struggle against Grease Fang, especially because game game one, it feels like pretty tough to do anything against them. You can kill Grease Fang with Giant Killer, right? But it's but that's kind of it, right? Like if you don't have it, then and they have it, you're just kind of toast, right? Well, you you can race, right? Like you're again, they're 
it's different because they actually do have cheap interaction. They play Fatal Push Thoughtseize sometimes. Right. So if, you know, if they like, say, turn one, you know, Fatal Push your one drop to make it so you can't convoke on two or Thoughtseize your convoke creature, and then they have, you know, Enabler Degrees Fang, you need, like, you can go wide where you just, you know, you have like the Gleeful... Bushwhacker is important in that matchup, right? Because if you're trying right. to go wide, they their Grease Fang turn presents two blockers, so you need to be able to and you need to establish enough of a board plus Bushwhacker to be able to get past the finish line there. Um, but yeah, that matchup gets a lot better after sideboard for sure. Yeah, thanks to rending volley mostly, right? I mean, I guess you have collective effort right now, which wait, that probably actually doesn't help against them. No. No no, 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 no. That's but not for Rending that Volley matchup. is helpful. We'll yeah. get to that in a second. Yeah. Rending, I think Rending Volley is just like the best cyborg card in Pioneer. Yeah, it's, it's an so amazing good. card. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's Grease Fang. So we've talked about Rending Volley. Obviously, what, what you're supposed to do with that. Forge Devil, we've talked about. You have three of that. I called it Torch Guy earlier. It's not that. It's He's Forge Guy. Um, that's a 1-1 one, one that deals one damage to target creature and one damage to you. Forge Devil also being good in the mirror. Because you can yeah. like you're it's again, just it's Forge Devil is not the most impactful card, but the what its purpose is, is to steal the tempo back. Like you're yeah. you're playing this, you're killing their Epicure. It's a creature. It's also important that it's a creature so you can hit it off of Night Errant. We've had in the festivities in that spot before, but right. it not being a creature, I think, makes it a little bit worse. Yep. Yeah, totally makes sense. And it leaves a body behind so you can still bushwhacker and have an extra extra creature. Yeah. Um, OK, so we have those two. We talked about Magmatic Chasm. Let's talk about collective effort. Mm. I'm going to bring up the text of that card. This card, when you told I me about this, this card. this card seems sweet. I always love this cycle of Escalate Rares from Eldritch Moon. There's some really good cards in there. I mean, Collective Brutality is in this set, as is Collective Defiance, which I think is a really cool card as well. But Collective Effort is generic white-white for a sorcery. And its Escalate cost is tap, an untapped creature you control. Turns out we have a lot of creatures in this deck. And you can choose one or more for those modes. And the modes are destroy target creature with power four or greater, destroy target enchantment, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature target player controls. So imagine a scenario real quick, Dave. You're Rakdos opponent. They go turn three, Fable the Mirror Breaker. Turn mm-hmm. four, Shielder the Apocalypse. Right. And on your turn, you go collective effort, tap two creatures, blow up your Shieldred, kill your Fable, put a counter mm-hmm. on my team. Yeah. Does that sound like a card that you would enjoy? It seems pretty good. It <laughs> yeah, seems like it does, it does so many things. Card is uh, absolutely absurd against Rakdos. Every time I've cast it, it's been a massive blowout. Your deck does. So the Rakdos matchup, while good, you can struggle with the card Shieldred mm-hmm. because the you kind of get into these spots where you you're bo- you're they're kind of like nickel and diming you, and Shieldred being the four or five body means that you can't even attack with your convoke creatures, even if they've dealt with like the first wave and you have like a, a four four to follow up. Right. So you need ways to be able to remove Shieldred, and this is a way to do that. That also has utility in other matchups because destroying enchantments good against uh, temporary lockdown slash leyline binding, so very good against the fires incarnation decks, and also plus one plus one counter in your team that is permanent. It's not a you know it's not like a bushwhacker. You only get it for one turn. And sizing creature sizing board sizing is very important in the mirror as well. Yep. And then the final card that you have in here is a, a card from uh, the battle that I think is starting to get more and more hype as time goes on, and that is Invasion of Gobakan. So I'm going to read it. Invasion of Gobakan is a generic and a white. For It has defense three, 
And it says, when Invasion of Gobakan enters the battlefield, look at target opponent's hand. You may exile a non-land card from it. For as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may play it. A spell casts its way, costs two more. That's the Paolo effect, basically, we're going to call mm. that. I forget yep. that, Elite Spellbinder. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and then exactly. the, the back is Light Shield Array, and this is, at the beginning of your end step, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature that attacked this turn. Seems good. And then Sacrifice Light Shield Array, Creatures you control gain hexproof and indestructible until end of turn also seems good. I had some trouble maximizing this card, I think, okay. but I got to tell you, I completely forgot about that first line of text on the back, the back side of it. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that it pumps good. the team as yes. well. Um, and so it really is worth it to attack into this to, to get it. The front and back, different apples, maybe are good against different decks, right? Or better mm -hmm. against different decks than each other. Having access to what is like a quasi thought seize on the front end, is that the way to think about it? Or are you almost always thinking about the back end on this? No, you're mostly playing it for the front side. Okay. So the typical matchups where you want this in is against anybody who's heavy on sweepers. So yep. blue-white control and Rakdos, they're gonna they're gonna overload on sweepers post board. So making their sweeper cost five or six as opposed to three or four is obviously very Huge. massive. Yeah. And Huge. the backside also very relevantly. So the really cool thing about invasion is you take their sweeper, which buys you a turn or two from them casting it. And then if you have some stuff on the battlefield, you hit the flip the invasion, which also blanks their sweeper, like if, right. if it's verdict or whatever. So uh, to common play pattern is like you don't. So for those of you who are playing this card, you don't usually want to play it on turn two, because if you're playing it, like even if you have, like, say, a three bit inspector on turn one and then you play this on two, you can't flip it the next turn unless you have like a bushwhacker draw. So maybe there are some hands where you would do that. But the most common line of play is like stuff on one more stuff on two, play this, take their best card, immediately flip it, get a counter on all my stuff, and now your best card is, you know, two turns out as well. Right. And maybe so, it doesn't even work anymore because I'm just going to sacrifice this instead yeah. to stop it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Card just, yeah. it, it's, it does it all. And um, I, there have been, you know, there's, the nut draw is turn one, Ornithopter Gleeful, turn two, play this, take your thing, flip it immediately because you get three power off the demolition. Oh. I've done that. I've done that a couple of times. And it's just like the game's just over on the spot. That is unbelievable. All right. Can we talk a little bit about what we take out? I know it's matchup dependent, mm -hmm. but I just want to check like my own thinking on this deck. So obviously we're not taking out the any of the core cards. We're not. Sh mm. Do we ever shave on convokes? Are you sometimes. shaving on convokes sometimes? Oh, okay. no. Well, it it is matchup dependent. So against the linear decks like green Lotus Field, anything where you don't expect to play more than like three or four turns, maybe five tops, I usually shave on Night Errant of Eos because mm -hmm. you one cannot afford to get flooded on Convoke creatures because you barely have time to cast the first one in those types of matchups. Right. And obviously Luxodon's a lot better because it helps you put more power into the battlefield, gets them dead quicker. So I will frequently shave copies of those in like the, the just just the night errands in the linear matchups. Right. Okay. That makes sense. But otherwise it's mostly swapping flex cards. Right. So we're yeah. kind of like we're taking out giant killers, putting in giant killer. Well, you don't have any more giant killers in your sideboard anymore. Earlier this week you did. Taking out Legion's Landing occasionally for Magmatic Chasm. Um that that's kind of the general process, right? Yeah, sometimes against Rakdos, like the decks that have more, like the, the decks that have more interaction, sometimes I'll shave down on like 
I'll shave an Ornithopter. I'll shave a Burning Tree in Masiri mm-hmm. just because I want my card quality to be a little bit higher in those matchups. Like as I know that we're playing a bunch of bad cards, but I want to as much as I can try to upgrade the card quality a little bit because I love invasion in those matchups. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the typical plan against Rakdos is like shave a Thopter, shave a Burning Tree, cut the Claren Spirit, cut, cut two Forbidden Friendships, cut... What was the other card I was cutting? I think I might have been cutting an Epicure too, like shaving on the artifact package, just bringing in the six white cards. Yep, that makes sense. That's similar to what I was doing. Except I was never taking the white, the one drops out. Basically, it was always kind of the playing around the flexes on the edges. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So you've been playing this deck for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. You're going to Dallas. Yep. You're going to play this deck in Dallas. Like I don't, that's not a secret, right? Hundred percent. Okay, hundred percent. Unless in, well, on this deck. So I'm going to play it. Like the, so for those of you who don't know the LCQ structure, they, they're kind of just fill and fire. They're 32 person. So, uh, you know, I'll play a couple with this. Maybe if the first like two or three don't go well, maybe I'll, you know, have like break in case of emergency break glass type of thing, which uh, is pro- would probably be Grease Fang. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I will play this deck for at least like two or three LCQs. Okay. Yeah, that's Hopefully awesome. just one. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, in that, well, I mean, in, in that sense, if they're fill and fires and are they single a limb? Or are mm-hmm. they they're single limb too? So like like you said, if we're playing playing for the high roll, like let's play for the high roll and kind of like yeah. try to get that five. You're trying to like league five zero basically with with thirty two yep. people, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I like it. I think I think that's a great place to start. And then if you go in, if you do last chance into the RC, you're probably thinking about this too, just because you've got so many reps at this point. Or what do you think? You're, at that point, you're just going to figure it out. I would still play this probably. Okay. Okay. It's gonna be it's gonna take me a lot to get off of this deck. Like it, yeah. it will take the Rakdos players playing like four hit Tsuku Consume Saw, and then I'll be like, eh, okay, maybe I'll <laughs> think about something else. I'm gonna do something different. Let's talk about the meta a little bit that you expect. And part of the reason that I want to talk about it is be, just because, you know, you must be thinking about this deck in the context of kind of what we expect to see. So we're gonna really quickly talk about the LMS Valencia. LMS, yep. Yeah, so it's a different kind of tournament series. This is their equivalent of, my understanding is that this is like a large RCQ. It's not an RC. These are people qualifying for next season's RC, I believe. Correct. This is kind of what what this feels to me is like the European energy. Yep. Okay. Totally makes sense. So this is a big tournament, good amount of people. Let's just go through this pretty quickly because, you know, we are we are kind of creeping on in time-wise as we as we always do when we talk to each other on the dive down. Thought we so, were here all night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll be here all night. We're going to live stream after this. Um, okay, top of the list, obviously, Rakdos mid. Oh, actually, really quickly, before we get into this, I do just want to say some of our listeners, uh, Mickey S., who I think is one of the mods in your Twitch channel, actually, to Devin, was turtle going power, through. Right? Yeah, Turtle Power was going through the deck list and found a lot of deck reg kind of mistakes. Oh, I so, found a couple of those too. Yeah. So this is not. A hundred percent accurate. You know, we normally we would have Shane go through this and normalize the data, but he's got a broken wrist. It looks like uh, he could just use that, his other wrist. Exactly. Come on, it only takes one one click, and we're only clicking the mouse with one hand. Um, the uh, Anil Yahi has also posted some of this data. I don't know. You, this is someone that we've talked about from Twitter a few times. I'm familiar. Yeah. Anil has also said he's going to go through and normalize this data. So take a look okay. around over the next couple of days. However, we're going to use this knowing that some of this isn't quite right. One thing real quick before we start, I saw somebody yep. uh, in the deck list, they labeled their deck as Vanifar combo, and I was 
unbelievably excited, and then I clicked on the deck list, and it was just Rakdos. Are you so. serious? I thought yeah. it was the other way around. Mickey made it sound like it was the other way around in Discord. I thought that no. he said that it was someone who labeled as, as RB, and it was actually Vanifar combo. No, <sighs> I, was, I was heartbroken. And now I'm heartbroken again, all over again, <laughs> after being more excited. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk, we have two, two pieces of data. We have the meta share on day one, and we have the conversion rate of the p- players playing this deck who converted into day two. Rakdos mid, we knew it was going to be number one. It's 21% of the meta, mm-hmm. and 18% of those players converted into day two, according to this uncorrected data. 18% is pretty respectable conversion rate, I think, right? Like, we probably want to set the baseline there at, like, 10 to 15 is pretty good. For yeah. day two, right? Well, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Like, you know, if it's a fifth of the field and a fifth of those players make it, that's like that seems to be like that would be the expectation, right? At least yeah. right, if if it if it's you know twenty one percent. Let's let's get this out of the twenty one percent of the metagame. That's a lot. It's that's a fifth of the field. Yeah. So you know you have to maybe temper the expectations a little bit, where you maybe would expect the conversion rate to be slightly higher because it has that higher uh, representation. Yeah, yeah. But this isn't composition of day two. This is just the number of those people that made day two because the numbers oh, for sure, day two sure. are even all over the place, right? So yeah. if, if, for example, if 20 per, 20, 20% of a fifth of the field converts to day two, it's actually more than 20% yeah. of the day two field because the number of players is lower. Right. But 21% is freaking wild. The <laughs> way that I want to bring this up, the reason why, and I think the way that we should talk about this meta is since we've been talking about Boros this whole time, let's just talk about it through the lens of Boros. You're pretty happy if the meta is 20% Rakdos, right? As long as they don't tack too hard against Convoke, like you said, you're pretty yeah, happy with that. I think so. I mean, you know, I've played the matchup. That That's definitely the matchup I played the most over the past two weeks. And, I, you know, I, I didn't track my exact win rate, but I would have to say I'm like, probably over you know it's over 60 percent against them maybe yeah. slightly less but yeah I'm, I'm pretty happy with those numbers so that's kind of a tick mark and like this is a good thing to play convoke we, we like it unless they re- like you said unless they really want to beat you yeah next on the list is uh monogreen devotion with 8.85 that was in second place uh 23.53 percent of those players converted from day one to day two. It's a pretty good conversion rate. It's a higher conversion That's rate a than Rakdos Mid. It's one of the highest ones that we have on the list. Wow. That's a big number. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. One quarter of those people made it. Um, Monogreen's back. Pelucranos is back. Yeah, Pelucranos is really good. You know, you guys have talked about this a bunch of times in the pod, but that card just, like, fixes so many of your matchups. It makes the Grease yeah. Fang matchup, like, close to... If you have Pelucranos and they can't kill it, then they can't... They just they just can't even attack profitably with a Parhelion. Uh, right. It makes your Spirits matchup better. It's just, like, that That card is so sick. Yeah, yeah. So we're probably going to see a good amount of Mono Green. I wouldn't be surprised if people looked at this and it ticked back up into that 10%. I also think, in America... People seem to, at these RCs, these Pioneer RCs, people seem to love Monogreen Devotion. I wouldn't be surprised if it was over 10% of the field again, especially when we look at the RC versus what we might see, especially these uh, last chance qualifiers. But but who knows? So Monogreen's going to be there. You said you've been struggling against it a little bit, but it's only 8% of the field, 10% of the field, so not too, too scary, uh, but something to keep in mind. Yeah, I'll bring the Magmatic Chasms. Like I said, I'll probably end up registering three of those. Yeah. Uh, maybe I, I know that... Um, I was going to test with somebody, uh, you know, off stream and just see if they could maybe just play a couple of games with me. They play Monogreen. I play this deck and see if we can make something else. I was thinking about there's another card I was going to try. I don't know if you remember this card, Fire Fist Striker. Do you remember that one, Dave? I don't remember that card. Where's that from? Is that from? Uh, 
It's from Gatecrash. Generic red 2-1, and then Battalion something can't block. I mean, I remember playing that card in draft, now that you talk <laughs> about it, because Battalion was my jam <laughs> yeah. in that in that format. Boros was extremely good in Gatecrash Limited. Yeah, I went, so, okay. uh, I went, I went real deep on the creature can't block, but yeah, I'll have to see if that works. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I have to play the matchup a little bit more. Maybe it's just like I said. Maybe I'm not taking aggressive enough mulligans. Maybe I'm keeping more average hands, and I should just be like really aggressively mulliganing to those to those nut draws. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Azorius control is next on the list. Eight point five nine percent on Azorius control. I don't know if these people were paying attention to what happened in Energy a couple of weeks ago, where it was a mono, where it was a UW mirror in the finals but here's the thing about azorius control 3.03 percent of those people converted to day two which means one person out of the entire group yeah it's extremely (laughs) atrocious it's unbelievable i mean three percent is like 30 people came with it and only one person made it to day two basically that's pretty bad yeah yeah i wonder if it was just you know really hostile towards azorius it's so weird. I've, I've seen a lot of discourse between this, between like the Azorius versus Rakdos matchup. I'm fairly certain that Rakdos is a significant favorite against them, mm-hmm. uh, unless like maybe that maybe Orion factors into that. But so it's not surprising to see like such a huge percentage of Rakdos and then the conversion rate of Azorius kind of mimicking that. Yeah. All right. Is it creativity? But sorry, before we go on. But mm-hmm. as far as Convoke goes, it's a tough matchup, but you feel like you have a good line on it, right? Especially with your with Gobicon and some other tools that you have. This is probably the worst matchup for the Convoke deck. Um, okay. You know, I have, I think I've been like right around splitting, maybe less than splitting my matches against them. I probably played it maybe ten or ten or twelve times. Uh, matchup gets matchup is tough, but like you said, gets a lot better post board invasion of Gobicon buys you a lot of time against Supreme Verdict. Their counter spells like absorb in the the you know later in the game their counter spells aren't that great. So yeah, it's not terrible, but it's not the matchup that I'd want to play. Right. All right. Uh, is it creativity's next after that? We don't have as you mentioned in the notes here to to us. We don't know if it's Gear Hulk, Atraxa, Worm, other things. Seven percent of the field day one. 26% of those people basically converted to day two. Pretty, pretty good, good conversion rate as well. That's the second highest conversion rate we have on here. Yeah, no, that 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 is that is pretty good. And I think a lot of that that would lead me to believe that most of these lists are probably playing Gear Hulk because mm-hmm. I think the Gear Hulk version is significantly better against Rakdos than the Atraxa or Worm versions. So would not be surprised if a lot of these players are playing Gear Hulk. Yeah. Yeah, but you, how do you feel about is it creativity versus, uh, like we talked about, you said the Gear Hulk one you feel pretty good about against, right? Super, I think no matter what version they're playing, it's a super close matchup. Make Disappear on Convoke Creatures is kind of a beating. Like if, they, if they're on the play and they have turn two, Make Disappear. Um, but if, if it, again, it's just a lot, of, a lot of its die roll. If you win the die roll and you have the Convoke Creature, they can't really stop that for the most part. So yeah, it's, it feels like one of those matchups that's like die roll game one and then Invasion helps you a lot post-board. Yeah, yeah. Obs on Greasefang, 5.5% of the meta. 9.52% of those people converted to day two. So low conversion rate out of Grease Fang. I don't, you know, I, I think that maybe that just means that you, you don't have to worry about it. And so we could probably leave that one for now. <laughs> I don't think that matchup is too bad. I I, yeah. I feel, you know, again, it's probably one of those coin flip matchups, but I think you have a higher chance, like your deck can do 
things on the draw that even if they have the turn three Parhelion, they that you can still beat. Like if you have the, you know, Gleeful plus Convoke Creature on the or plus Luxon on the draw, even if they have Parhelion, you could still beat that draw. Yep. Yep. Lotus Field. 3.91%. A third of those people converted to day two. So high conversion rate, but low sample, low number of people on day one. That likely means that there was, I think that that means that there was 13 people on it, 13, 14, 12 kind of Sounds people right. on it. So that's four or five people making it into day two, which is, is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, Lotus Field is just like that sometimes though, right? We see these events quite frequently where all of a sudden Lotus Field crumbs up and on the individual matchups, it just kind of crushes it, but it never gets to like broader adoption overall but this it's, is your best matchup as you said yes this is this is definitely the matchup i want to play the most it almost feels like dredge Go, just going yeah. back to lotus in general it's just like people don't respect it for one weekend it's like oh here's lotus i'm still here right or affinity in a weird way remember yeah. when that used to happen it was like do i bring the stony silences do i not bring the stony silences yeah exactly mono white humans we haven't talked about mono white humans a ton we've kind of mentioned in passing a couple times 13.3% of the meta, 15% of those people converted. Three. So that's likely one or two people maximum that made it from day one. I believe that there was someone who was undefeated on day one on mono white humans, actually. That sounds about right. Yeah, I think yeah. I think there was. Yeah. But, what do you think um, about this matchup? I think I've generally been pretty happy with it. And, you know, you you go a lot wider than they do and they don't have, you know, a ton of like their only interaction is like ossification Brutocathar, which mm. again, not that great against the tokens. That stuff is good against the convoke creatures, but if you have Loxodon, you're leaving a ton of power behind on the battlefield. And at least the, the, the games that I've played, it seems to get into these board stalls where neither player wants to attack, but you have a, you have ways to like go so much wider than they do with Bushwhacker. So I think it's a good matchup. Okay. Good to know. I, you think it's done okay lately, and so it's probably going to be around the same in Dallas right now. Yeah, I, I this sounds about right. Maybe it's slightly higher. Maybe it's like closer to four or five percent. But this is this is about what I would expect. Yeah, got it. All right. Next deck in the list is Boros Convoke, which actually we realized in this is one of the things we realized in the data is that the the listing on the uh, this organization. Oh, yep. Boros Convoke is actually, it says 3.39%, but there was another deck on their entries called Boros, Boros Aggro. Aggro. Yeah. It was, I believe it was closer to 15, or sorry, to 5.5% or so. And 16% of those people converted from day one to day two, which means three out of three out of 15, I think is what we're talking about here. That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Three out of 18. I think it's actually three out of 18 players converted to day two. So hype deck, mm -hmm. maybe the hype hasn't reached Europe. Yeah, because it's not, you know, I would expect people to bring this out a little bit more in force, also given that this deck is not like the most expensive thing in the world to build, I don't think, in paper. After um, this weekend, maybe that might not be true anymore. Tough to say. Yeah, <laughs> tough to say. I, I know, know that you, Invasion of Gobicon is like 25 tickets. just going to mention yeah. that. Yeah, it, it, it spiked in paper, too. It's like, I think it's like 15 in paper. Woof. Okay. Yeah. Going to have to get some of those at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, so what do you think about this? Do you think that people are going to, given the Twitter discourse, given what's going on in Magic Online, do you think you're going to get 10% show up with this and just try to pedal the metal? Or what do you think? When I started, like when I initially started playing the deck and I saw all of the discourse on Twitter, I think my guesstimate was somewhere between 8 to 10% would be mm -hmm. my my guess for the metagame in Dallas. Maybe maybe a little bit lower and be like closer to 7%, mm -hmm. but it's that I don't think it'll break 10%. Okay. Okay, so it's going to be a tier 
two deck by meta representation. It's not going to bo- suddenly bust into being like Boros Convoke and Monogreen Devotion are both 10% and then everything no. else is going to fall after that. Yeah, no, okay. it, it's not going to get anywhere close to that because, you know, there are a lot of people as we've seen the Twitter discourse. There are a lot of people who also don't believe that it's even a playable deck. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it'll somewhere somewhere in the middle, probably like I said, seven or seven, eight percent. Yeah. So what about the mirror, Devin? Uh, you got a you got a coin handy. <laughs> <laughs> just flip it <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty much what it is i mean it gets weird there's like like i was like i've talked about a couple of times there's these weird board stalls where neither player wants to attack because right. you're always worried about like okay well what if they have bushwhack or how much can they deal in the crackback and you have to like leave exactly enough creatures to play around them having like two creatures plus bushwhacker there's a lot of math involved and i don't like math that much but yeah it's it's a weird matchup I mean, you got to do your combat math when you're playing this deck. Like you, you said, do, yeah. you have to you have to know like how much your chip damage is. Like you said, you have to plan ahead a couple of turns. This is this is the experience of playing this deck did remind me a little bit of some of the things that I love the most about certain formats in limited, mm-hmm. which is just like okay, I need to think really fast about how how can I how many how much of my material on board can I sacrifice to push through damage still take a crack back and then also still continue to win. And it's like, well, wait, is it this? Is it that? Is it this? What if they have this? Yeah. You know, fortunately we're the only deck in Pioneer that can really drop that much damage that fast. So you don't have to think too much about really crushing things, but there are occasional decks where suddenly it's like, okay, well, what if they land a Traxa, right. you know, on this next turn, like what happens then? Uh, mostly you die, but <laughs> there's, um, you know, there's, there's things that can help. But yeah, I, I found that the these mirrors to be kind of kind of weird as well and interesting. Super interesting. Yeah. All right, two more decks to talk about really quickly before we kind of wrap this up. Demir Control. This is not a real deck, right? Yeah, like I don't. Not, I don't not know. real or not or just around very much, right? I'm not, I'm not really sure why it's even two percent. To be honest yeah. with you, I'm very surprised yeah. that maybe they were mislabeled as Aureus decks, but yeah. So we'll skip that one. We we haven't been expecting this kind of deck in Pioneer. We haven't seen it on Magic Online lately. Maybe there's a contingent of people in Europe who like to play control, you know, like maybe Wafo and like a couple of other <laughs> French control people were maybe. there and they're just like, we're bringing Demir. We don't even care. You know, it's fine. <laughs> Gruel Vehicles is the last one on here. 2%, only 12% of those people made it into day two. So not like a great showing from Gruel Vehicles either. Yeah. Can we talk about that real quick? Like sure. Gruel Vehicles, you know, two, three months ago was what, like the third or fourth most played deck. And now it's all the way at the bottom. Like what the heck happened? And it's also even more shocking to me because the Rakdos just keeps up in, in, increasing in popularity. And that was Gruel's best matchup. So I'm, maybe it's just that people aren't playing it anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, or it, it can be one of those things where like regionally things are just not that popular. Maybe. Right. Yeah. And what and I guess another thing I would ask is what is Gruel's matchup against like Azorius Control and is it creativity? Well, those like, matchups are horrible. Yeah, so I guess so, that so makes sense. That yeah. could be part of it too. Is as those ascend, this one goes further down. Um, but you never know. Like this is one of those things. I mean, Gruel was one of the breakout decks of the RCs in fall essentially, and so it could be that people just pick it back up and are ready to to go over here in the states. And you never know. Um, what do you think about the Boros matchup is? I, 
Well, I haven't played it yet. I haven't. I guess okay. there's just not been a lot of gruel. Um, looking at the deck list, I would have to imagine that Boros is probably a big favorite because, like, their curve of like Elf into Stormseeker into Cherry, you can just tank all of the hits from that, and you're just you're racing them. They don't have a ton of interaction. Mm-hmm. They can't kill a four four. So, uh, yeah, I, I would have to imagine that's a, a really really good matchup for Boros. I did struggle a little bit with chair with a resolved chariot. I will say, and I, okay. I played against green, red, green. Um, they did not Stormseeker me, so it wasn't like a fast one, but it was kind of like I wasn't fast Defensive. enough. Yeah, and then they just had cats, and then they were like, uh, you know, they were activating the chariot, and it was kind of like, oh my god, can I even attack anymore? I think the part of that was though I hadn't had this wonderful discussion with you about what to keep and what to maul. That was only like my sure. third match, maybe. That's so fair. I was really like. Do I keep Burning Tree Emissary, Burning Tree Emissary, Giant Killer, Ornithopter, <laughs> Land, Land, Land? I, I don't know. Like, I'm just trying whatever at that point. So it, I might have just had a bum hand in that way as well. But Chariot did feel rough to me. Also, I played against Obzon Greasefang a couple of times where they resolved Chariot. It was just like an extra stop sign other than the Angels as well. So it was like, even sure. though they didn't get Parhelion on board, they were like, okay, now we're just going to cast this and then you have to stop. Yeah, um, gum up the board. Yeah, so we'll see. Chariot seem because you know it's one of those things where, like it makes extra tokens too. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. All right. So given all this, how are you I mean, feeling about Boros in this context? Pretty good still. I think I'm pretty good. If Rakdos is the most played deck, if Rakdos is 20 percent of the metagame, if that number keeps to, if that number stays the same, I would have to. You know, if if I if you tell me I'm going to play against so. Let's assume for the sake of argument, the RC, like if it, let's assume I qualify when an LCQ, the RCs are what, like 15 rounds. So a fifth yeah. of that play against Rectos three times. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take these numbers. The Azorius control matchup is a little sketchy sometimes, but other than that, you know, I, I feel pretty confident. Awesome. All right. I think you should feel confident too, but mostly because you're you. <laughs> I think the stack is good. I think the stack is fine. Like I, as far as if you want to know, like my my take on it, everybody. If the, at the end of this this conversation, I really enjoyed playing the stack. You know, Devin, you probably know I'm a big like prowess player. I really love to play these kind of like synergistic aggro decks. Yeah, a deck like this to me, it, it misses like lightning bolt, of course. <laughs> which would be nice to have a little bit of extra reach and a little bit of extra interaction. For now, um, it misses lighting. For now, it does. Yeah, we'll see. Pioneer Masters, here we go. But I, I think this is a totally solid deck. I think the deck building is really impressive. Like the fact that over the last few weeks, so many different people in the community have kind of picked up, you know, what you had kind of said was maybe an idea that started with an, a list that Everett tried in Modern, and then people said, well, wait, let's try to do this in, in Pioneer. And, you know, you were one of those people, and it seems like a couple of other people picked up the mantle pretty quickly as well there too. I think that's almost the most interesting thing to me about this. I would definitely play this deck on like a Friday night when I want to have fun and I'm like, I want to think, but I don't want to think about certain other really complex interactions in magic. I really want to think about like how to maximize the potential of my own hand, you know, how to get a, be tricky and get around what my opponent's doing. So I think this is a good deck for, for people who like to play like that for sure. And, Honestly, Loxodon and Knight Errant are really cool cards. I'm glad that they found a home. Convoke is a, is a powerful mechanic. I'm glad that we have something that is using Convoke that's not just quarter calling. So um, I, I think there's a lot of positive things going on for this deck. So I would definitely play it again. You know, my results, I did two leagues with it. I went four and six. You know, including winning two mirrors, which is really weird. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, maybe just matchups. One thing before before we end the podcast, I want to go on record. I want to go on record and say for this deck, it's it's not 
it's it's not Hogak, okay? People need yeah. to stop talking about this. It is cool that it exists within the Pioneer format. It's awesome when decks like this kind of pop out on the scene because Pioneer for for uh for the most part is like becoming at least people are kind of thinking that it's been a little bit stale lately. So anytime you get a new deck to burst onto the scene that happens to, you know, have a, a good weekend, it's awesome. But you know, at the end of the day, deck is relatively inconsistent. You have to be you have to gamble a little bit sometimes, but uh, it's fun. I enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. This is not, there's nothing to me about playing with this deck or against this deck in the last four or five days that really makes me feel like it's Hogak in, in any way, shape, or form. No. A- at all. Yeah. I mean, it's just like not even close. I, I get why people are frustrated by these big bursty openings, but like, think about the inverse, like all the hands that these people, that people playing this deck yeah. open up to. That's Thraben Inspector, Voldaren Epicure, Voldaren Epicure, and then like, two lands and a bushwhacker and you're like keep i guess yeah. you know i'm mulligan like, a lot today <laughs> yeah i mean we didn't talk i mean we talked about how to mulligan with this deck but we we did not talk about how much you mulligan i mulligan to five quite frequently playing this deck in, in the the league that the two leagues that i did yeah so, you kind of have to yeah absolutely all right, Devin. Well, best of luck to you next week. Safe travels, all that, all those kind of stuff. We'll be uh, happy to talk to you, excited to talk to you when you come back, just to like hear how it goes, hear the experience went, hear how Everett treats you as a, as a house guest. I bet he's very nice. He is. Um, yeah. And I miss his dogs. He does have great dogs. Yeah, that's true. Um, but that wraps up this week's show. And if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or reach out, you can tweet at us at the dive down or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. Check out our store, divedown.com slash store. If you want any of this stuff at any time, it's all posted on the divedown.com, by the way. There's a banner right in the middle that gives you all the codes, all those things. Like, check that out. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for Mana Traders using po- promo code the Dive Down 2023, all one word for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Get your amazing shaving soaps, body fragrances, body soaps, and more at Barrister and Man using the Dive Down M23. That's a new code, as we mentioned earlier, for 15% off your first order. And save money at paper cards at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 for 8% off your order. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and get uh, 12... 12- 12 to 14 power on turn two.